All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Hope that you survived the the storm last night. Uh, I know many people have their electricity off uh, this morning. I've gotten a few texts from some folks about that. Um, so be in prayer for them, and hopefully that will be restored soon. Uh, this morning we are back in the book of Galatians. We've made our way over to chapter 6, and we're looking at verses 6 through 10 this morning. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 this morning is going to be our text. Um, and so, I don't know, the slideshow is not, not working on my phone. I'll trust that the people in the booth will be able to get that fixed for me. Um, but Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 is where we're at this morning. Let me read that, and we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will we'll dive in. It says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as the church uh, to come and and to worship you, Lord. To worship you in song, to worship you in the reading of Scripture, to worship you through the hearing of the preached Word, God. And this morning, as we turn to our text, we ask, God, that that we would hear what you have for us in these uh, verses this morning, and that we might take the message here and apply it to our lives, apply it to the life of our church. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, going to the dentist uh, is not my favorite thing to do. It might not be your favorite thing to do either. I kind of have this love-hate relationship with the dentist. It's not that, it's not that the dentists that, that I've gone to in the past are, are bad dentists. All the dentists that I've had are excellent dentists. They're, they've run their practice well. I haven't necessarily had to wait very long at all when I go for my appointment. I don't leave there frustrated with the dentist because of their service at all. I'm not afraid of the needles. I'm not afraid of the instruments that they, that they use. None of those things really bother me at all. Instead, going to the dentist is not my favorite thing to do because it has a major impact on my wallet. Maybe uh, you are like me, you have you know, bad teeth, and, and I brush my, my teeth after every single meal. After every single snack that I eat, I brush my teeth, and I brush them for the whole time, two minutes, making sure I hit every single tooth in my mouth, but yet I still get cavities. And I've talked to the dentist about this over and over again, he just says some people are more susceptible than others. And because of that, I've had to have a ton of of dental work. It's like every single time I go to the dentist, he's like, you got another cavity, you got to come back in and get that filled, or you need to get a crown, or you need to get a root canal, right? Like it has just been all the time. But here's the thing. If you're like me, you can't just quit going to the dentist because you don't like what the dentist is going to tell you. If you do that, well then your teeth are going to be really, really bad. 
And in a similar way, I can't skip over today's passage just because the content of it makes me a little bit uneasy to deliver to you. You see, today's message, if you see uh, the, the question on the screen, today's message it really has to do about compensating, the church compensating the pastor. And that's always an awkward sermon to preach, right? Because, because well, I'm the pastor, and I'm saying you must compensate me. So that's always an awkward and difficult sermon for someone to preach. But that is a sermon that I must preach. That's because it is my job to expose you to the whole council of God's Word, and this particular passage is part of that. And so if I just skip over that, well, then I'm not doing my job. I'm not exposing you to the whole counsel of God's Word, and it's not going to benefit you in the way that this passage is meant to benefit you. And so we must press on. We must look at this passage together, and we must determine what are the benefits of compensating your pastor? What are the benefits of caring for their needs. Before we get into the benefits, we need, to, we need to lay the foundation here. And the first thing is, the church is to take care of those who teach them. In verse 6, Paul says this, Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. And the word share falls in the middle of the verse in English. This, this is a present active imperative, which means that it is a command. And the, and the present active nature of this imperative means that it's something that you are to continually do. It's not, a, it's not a one-time thing. It is something that you continually do over and over again. And what Paul, what Paul wants us to do is to share all good things with the one who teaches. And though it's a bit veiled, what is really meant here is that we are to share the material possessions with our pastor in order to care for their needs. And we see here this is an imperative. This is not a suggestion. This is a, a command. This is something that we must do. And Paul's command to the Galatian churches is not something that was unique. He wrote, to, he wrote the same thing to other churches, to the Corinthians. Paul says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And then he writes to the Ephesian church, and, and to the Ephesian church he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so, as you can see, Paul consistently told other churches to do the same thing, to care for those who taught and pastored them. And Paul didn't pull this preaching out of a vacuum. It's based off of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 10, as well as, as well as the law that God laid down in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 24 and, and 25. All this to say is that this is something that, that the church is supposed to do, and they are to care for their pastor's financial and material needs, which means that the congregation isn't just to be made up of consumers who, who come and just solely get their spiritual lives cared for, for, for their own personal benefit. Instead, we are all to be contributors, actively contributing towards the ministry of the local church. And giving is where many of us struggle, though. A recent statistic that, that I came across, it revealed this, that 75 to 90% of church members do not tithe. That means they do not give 10% to the, 
of their income. Now, I know that we can debate on whether a tithe is, is right and good or we should tithe or we should not tithe, but if we just take that as a base, 10% of your income, we see that 75 to 90% of church members do not actively, on a regular basis, give 10%. The average giving by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches, this didn't necessarily break down to Baptist churches or anything like that, but the average gift is $17 a week that people give. And typically, 77% of those who do tithe end up giving 11 to 20% or more of their income, far more than the baseline. What this reveals is that when it, when it comes to giving, we find that in every congregation there are some who, who simply don't give at all, there are those who give a little bit, who give out of habit, who maybe give out of conviction every now and again. And then there are those who give sacrificially, who give cheerfully, who give above and beyond. And there are different reasons why people fit into these categories, as, as well as there are different reasons why people to struggle to provide financially for their local church. Maybe they are, they've overextended themselves. Their budget, they're not meeting budget themselves. They're in credit card debt. They, they've got a mortgage that they can't afford to pay. They've got multiple car payments, and they're just barely treading water themselves. And at the end of the month, there is, there's absolutely nothing left to give. Let me just say, you should probably switch that around and say, not at the end of the month, but, but at the beginning of the month, right? The Lord tells us to give out of our first fruits. And so working your tithe into your budget, not saying, well, what do I have left to give? Then I will do that. But working our tithe into our budget. There are people who have overextended themselves. Maybe they don't realize the impact their individual giving has on the budget, right? I mean, we create a budget every single year, and we create that budget based off of the, the money that, that we have received in, in the past year, the people who are here, who are members, the giving trends and things like that. And each and every single person impacts the budget that we have at the church. Or maybe, maybe people realize, man, my giving does impact the budget. They're, they're mad, they're, they're upset about something. Things are not going their way or a or, 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 or vote didn't go the way that they wanted it to go. And so they have, they have pulled back their financial giving as a way to, to protest. Let me just say, if something is not going the way that, that you want it to go, if you're upset about something, the, the way to, to do that is not to pull back on your financial giving. I have no idea what people give in the church and so by you pulling back on your financial giving, I, I have no idea that you've pulled back on your financial giving. The best thing to do is to set a meeting with me and to come and talk and let's, let's talk through some of the things that is bothering you. I'd be happy to sit down and do that. Or maybe, maybe they have the money to give, but they just don't know the benefits of giving to meet the financial needs of the church. Sometimes we need to know the benefits before we are able to give. In other words, they don't know the difference that it's going to make in their life. And because they don't know the difference, they struggle to give cheerfully and they struggle to give on a regular basis. But giving does make a difference in your life and it does provide you with benefits. And so let's look at those benefits. First, you'll benefit from a deep fellowship over the gift God has given. Look at verse 6 again. There Paul tells us that we are to share all good things with the one 
who teaches. And, and, this, and this Greek word that Paul uses here for share is koinonia. And in other contexts, this word is translated as fellowship. And here it takes more on the idea of a, a participating and, and sharing with one another. And so as we participate, as we share our lives, as we share our finances with another, a deep fellowship takes place. And this fellowship occurs in the context of the local church between the, the pastor and the, the congregation as the congregation uses their gifts to support and care for the pastor, and as the pastor uses his gifts to, to support and care for the congregation. There's this deep fellowship that takes place as we work alongside of one another for, to do the work of ministry, right? You have not just been given to give, uh, gifted to give financially to the church. You have been gifted to this church as a means to utilize your spiritual gifts so that we have people to serve on the teams that we have at this church in order to make ministry happen. But then also, as you give financially, as you give regularly, there's this deep fellowship that occurs between each and every member of the church. A, a fellowship that goes beyond a surface level because you are actively invested in the life of the church. You are actively invested in the life of those who are serving you as their pastors. And so a deep fellowship is the first benefit of this giving. Now, I didn't include this slide, I forgot to, but the second benefit is that you'll benefit from a deeper knowledge of God's Word. You see, most people don't have the time to you know, put together Bible studies and write sermons and write blog posts and write books and things like that, right? You, you, you go and you work a, a nine-to-five job. You come home. You, you care for your family. There's just not enough time in the day to do all of that. But, but a pastor who is serving the church as his vocational ministry full-time, he should have the time to sit and, and prepare sermons, to, to prepare to counsel people, to, to write things that can encourage the church. There is that opportunity, and a pastor who is working full-time in the church should use those opportunities, right? They, they should busy themselves with, with the business of studying God's Word, with the business of preaching God's Word, of, of teaching God's Word, of counseling from God's Word. And so the congregation who supports their pastor so that they can work full-time in the church benefits from a deeper knowledge of God's Word as that is able to be exposed on a level from week to week that you might not be able to do on your own. Not because you're not a, a super Christian or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But, but because you give your time to go and work as an accountant or a fireman or whatever it is that you do. And the pastor is supposed to give his time to studying God's Word so that he can share what he has studied with the congregation. And the congregation benefits from that. Another benefit is that you will, you will benefit by reaping spiritual growth and eternal life. In verse 7, Paul reminds the Galatians and, and, you, and us the law of return when he says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Now the last church that I pastored, it was, it was out in the country. There were a number of, of members of that church who were farmers, who, who were ranchers. They had cattle. 
And, and every single year, um, they would be out in the hay fields in the summertime, you know, cutting hay and, and collecting that for, for their cattle for that, for that year. But in order for them to do that, in order for them to be out there all summer to, to get several cuttings, they had to sow at the right time. And if they didn't, well, they couldn't just go out there to the hay fields in summer and expect that there will be hay there. So they would, they would be out there every single year sowing the hay, preparing the field, getting things ready for the crop that would come in the summertime because they didn't want to pay some exorbitant amount of money to, to buy a bunch of hay to feed their cattle. And every year, they would have hay. And they would have enough hay to, to feed their cattle. Sometimes they would have enough hay to sell and make some extra money from those around them. You see, the law of return is as simple as that. You reap what you sow. But this law doesn't just apply to agricultural crops. It also applies to our spiritual life as well. In verse 8, Paul says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And it seems like maybe Paul has is, is moved on to a tangent here, but, but we're going to bring this back here in a moment to what we've been focusing on. Now, when, when Paul reveals that those who sow to the flesh reap corruption, what he has in mind is that those who indulge in their own sinful desires, those who give into sinful temptations, they are going to reap corruption. They're not going to reap success. They're not going to reap blessing. They're going to reap corruption. And we know what this looks like to sow to the flesh. We have a list. We, we looked at this list back in chapter 5. If, if you've got a, you're in your Bible, it may just be a, a little bit up from, from where we're looking at right now. But in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, we read this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I mean, this list kind of runs the gamut. And of course, this is not the end-all, be-all of, of those fleshly behaviors. But, but what we see here is that as you indulge in the flesh, you end up reaping corruption. And that word corruption carries the idea of a putrid corpse that is in the process of decomposition. That, that is certainly not the harvest that many people want or they expect when they indulge in the flesh. But if you sow to the flesh, that is the harvest that you are going to reap. A putrid corpse that is in the state of decomposition. Not blessings at all. On the other hand, those who sow to the Spirit, they're going to reap eternal life. When we live in line with the self-giving love that characterizes Jesus, we, we, we secure eternal life. Now that's not to say that we own our own that we that we earn our own eternal life. But it is to say that that whether or not we arrive at God's goal for us that is salvation is directly impacted by the orientation of our lives, characterized by serving or sowing to either impulses and goals of the flesh or those of the spirit. Now what what this author is getting at is that true Christians seek the things of God while those who are nominal Christians, those who, who may claim to be Christian but are really not Christian, they don't seek the things of God. They half-heartedly seek God and the benefits that, that He can give them. True Christians, they end up fighting against the flesh. 
While those who are not believers, they, they continue to give into the flesh without any sort of remorse, without any sort of repentance. They may feel bad from time to time here and there, but, but there's no true repentance. There's no true turning from that. There may be a, I got caught in my sin and now I'm upset about that. But there's no true repentance to say, I want to follow the Lord now. Admittedly, fighting the flesh is, is difficult. And fighting the flesh is not something that we can do on our own. And so when we see ourselves fighting the flesh, when we see ourselves fighting against these fleshly desires, well then we can say that, that we have the Spirit. Because it is the Spirit that empowers us to fight against the flesh. And if we're, if we're fighting against the flesh, we're actively repentant, we're, we're working to grow to be more like Christ, and we see this growth in our life, we feel remorse over our sin when we commit that sin, we, we do what we can to get out of that sin, well, then we have the Spirit. We're sowing to the Spirit when we do that. We're going to reap spiritual benefits. We're going to reap eternal life because we show that we have a changed heart now if we're never repentant if we if we're if we continue to 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 indulge in the things of the flesh the things of the flesh that are outlined here in the book of galatians and other places in text we should determine that that we don't have the spirit and that we need the spirit that we need jesus as our lord and as our savior all this tells us that the Christian life is to be directed towards God. Being a Christian is not about getting your fire insurance. Being a Christian is not about you know, enjoying the benefits that the church can give you. Being a Christian is not about you know, joining a country club and things like that. Being a Christian is about living according to God's purpose for your life so that you can bring Him glory, period. That's what it means for us to follow Christ. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came and He gave His life so that God would be glorified. And that's what we are to do. We are to take up our cross. We are to die to ourselves daily. We are to give of ourselves so that God would be glorified. And those who sow to the Spirit reap eternal life. As well as those who sow to the Spirit reap spiritual benefit. When you seek to walk by the Spirit, when you use the means of grace that God has, has given you, when, when you enter into fellowship with other believers, when you read your Bible on a regular basis, when you pray, when you seek accountability, when you study the Bible with others, when you come to corporate worship, when you give, when you use the means of grace, you will reap spiritual benefit rather than corruption. It's as simple as that. If you want to grow in your faith, you want to be more like Jesus, as, as all Christians should want to do, we should all want to be more like Christ, we should all be seeking to do that, then we must sow to the Spirit rather than to the works of the flesh. It's as simple as that. And one thing you should notice here is that these verses run in direct conflict with the prosperity gospel. You see, the prosperity gospel says, man, you need to sow a seed of, of monetary value to the church, to the pastor that's on TV who's sweating and, you know, running himself with a handkerchief that'll sell you for $100, right? That's what they say. And you know what? You know what you will gain from that? You will gain tenfold. You'll gain twentyfold. You'll gain a hundredfold. Just plant a seed. Sounds great, right? You get a lot of money if, if you're someone who's out there peddling that stuff. 
But that's not what Scripture says. That's not what this text says. The text says, sow to the Spirit and you will reap spiritual benefits. You will reap spiritual blessings. You will reap eternal life. You see, this world is, is not our home. Material possessions and things like that should not be our focus. But oftentimes it is, especially for those who don't have the Spirit. And this is why those who are peddling the prosperity gospel, this is why they connect so well with those in the culture. Because what do people who are unregenerate want? They want material possessions. They want material blessing. But as believers, we recognize that this world is not our home. We recognize that it is God that we should want. And it is God that we should be after. Again, this is all based on the law of return. You reap what you sow. And the law of return is a cause and effect relationship that we can't escape. Look at verse 7. Do not be deceived, he says. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. We are deceived if we think that somehow we can defeat the law of return. You see, the law of return is built into the very fabric of the world by the Creator and the Sustainer of this world. He has built that into the fabric of this world. And so to think that we can escape that somehow is to think that we are greater and more powerful and more mightier and more wise than God is. And we put, our place, we put ourselves in the place of God when we do that. But we are not God. We are fallible humans who are sinful. And we cannot escape this law this law of return. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, this is great and all, that will definitely preach, but how does this apply to our giving? When we give to support the needs of the church, we are not only exercising love as a fruit of the Spirit, but we are also giving to further gospel ministry. And when we give to further gospel ministry, we are sowing to the Spirit. And those who sow to the Spirit will not only grow spiritually, but they will also gain eternal life. Now this is not a roundabout way of Paul saying, hey, if you just give to the church, if you just give to ministers, well, you are going to receive eternal life. This is not a roundabout way to sneak some works-based salvation in at the end of his message when he's been talking about how we are not saved by works the entire time. No, it's always Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But when we have Jesus, our heart is changed. Our, our will is changed. Our want is changed. Our desires are changed. And so when we see ourselves doing those things that we would not normally do as non-believers, and we continue to do those things over and over and over again, then we can be assured that we have been changed that we have the Spirit, that we have eternal life. And so this is not a roundabout way of, of sneaking you know, works-based salvation in. No, it's a way to encourage you. It's a way to say, if you are sowing in this way, you can know that you are a believer. If you are not sowing in this way, then you need to check your heart's motivations. You need to, to check and see, where am I at? Am I really desiring the things of God? Do I really desire to see the Gospel further? Do I see it as the greatest thing in all of the world that, that people should be able to, to have access to and to learn about and to experience as I have? 
Or do I just see it as a take it or leave it type thing? See, where our bank account is, where our money goes, often tells us where our heart is directed. And so are we sowing to the things of God? If we are, our heart is directed towards the Lord. We know we've been changed. And we know we will experience eternal life. But in order to experience spiritual benefits, we must persevere in our sowing. Look at verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I know some of you are into gardening, because I see your pictures on Facebook all the time. And gardening, man, gardening is not easy. I've had a garden before. I know you guys who've had gardens you know, know gardening is not easy. You're always out there, whether, whether it's hot or not, uh, and you hope to get out in the cool of the day, but whether, you know, in the summertime it's always hot, and you're out there pulling weeds, you're out there tending to your garden, you're watering things, you're always out there messing with that garden in order to be a gardener. And what happens? What happens if, if you do that? What happens if you persevere? Well, the weeds don't take over. You know, the bugs don't take over. You, you, you gain a crop. You gain some fresh vegetables for your family to eat, for your friends to eat. And just as we persevere when it comes to, to gardening and we, we're able to reap the vegetables in our garden when we persevere, when we persevere in giving, we will eventually reap spiritual benefits. And those benefits won't come overnight, just like the vegetables in your garden. They don't come overnight, but they're going to come. We will eventually reap if we persevere. And I think this is a good message for our culture to hear because we live in this, this time because of technology where we don't have to wait for almost anything, right? I mean, think about buying your groceries. Nowadays, all you got to do is go on an app on your phone, schedule a time, you know, put it, everything in your digital shopping cart, check out and show up at the store at the time that you have selected that is the most con- convenient for you. And the person comes out and they just load all the stuff in your car and you drive home. It's a wonderful experience if you have not done that. Or if you want to know what the 30, who the 31st president of the United States is, all you've got to do is Google it right there. You can get a book, go to the library, nothing. Google it. Now you can just ask Siri and she'll, she'll go ahead and, and tell you. You don't even have to type anything in. Or if you need a, a present for a birthday party, you don't have time to go out, Amazon has you covered, right? Like, depending on where you live, you can have that present in an hour or two and then, and then you're off perseverance and delayed gratification is not something that we are accustomed to, but it's something that we are called to as Christians. As we persevere in our sowing, we will experience spiritual benefits, but we must persevere in order to experience them. And when it comes to our giving, in particular to meeting the needs of those surrounding us, we must use wisdom, and wisdom teaches us that we must seek the needs of those in the church first. In verse 10, Paul says this, so then, as, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so we're brought full circle back to the beginning of verse 6. And he extends this principle here to care beyond the pastorate to include all of those who are in need. And we're told that we're to do good to everybody as we have opportunity, which means that we should care for every single person that we have an opportunity to care for in the community in which we live, for those who are in need. But we're also told that we are to, to especially care for those who are of the household of faith. And what do we learn? Well, we learn that the church is to be our first priority. 
And why is that? Why is the church our first priority? Well, because the church is our family. When we become believers in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, we are adopted into a family. God becomes our Father, and we become brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are to take care of our family. I mean, think about it like this. When you receive your paycheck from work, you don't take and cash that paycheck and immediately go to your neighbor's house and say, hey, what does your family need? What are the needs of those in this particular street? And then buy all of that so that your family is now left in need. No, you go to your family. You take care of the needs of your family. And then what you have left, you take care of the needs of those around you. This is not to say that we don't take care of those in the community. We certainly take care of those in the community. But we also take care of those whom we are in active fellowship with, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, who we call church members in this particular local expression. And we also take care of those in the community. We are to do both and. But we see that our first priority is the actual church. All this tells us then that we are to care for the needs of the pastor along with the needs of church members in the community as we have opportunity. As we take care of these needs, especially the needs of the pastor, we experience real tangible benefits, right? We experience a, a deep fellowship, a deeper knowledge of God's Word, spiritual growth, and finally, eternal life. And so, as, e as uneasy as this message might be for me to deliver to you, it's one that we all need to hear. It's one that we all need to apply, not just so that, that I'm compensated or Ryan is compensated, but so that you experience the benefits laid out for us here in God's Word. And you can respond today by, by purposing to give to the local church. To give cheerfully and sacrificially in an effort to support the gospel ministry of our church. You see, if Eastridge is going to remain a light in this community for the gospel, we need your financial support. It, it has to come in in order for us to remain a church who can be a light for the gospel in Red Oak and beyond. We need you to give. And so if you're a believer, if you're a, a member of this church, you can respond today by purposing to give cheerfully and sacrificially. Now, if you're, you're not a believer, you're watching online, you're here today, and we're not, we're not asking you to give. Instead, what we want is for you to turn to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. We want you to see, the, see and experience the good news of the gospel. We want your life changed by the message of Jesus that He has died for you so that you can have a restored relationship with the Father, so that you can experience spiritual benefits, so that you can experience spiritual or eternal life, so that you can have meaning and purpose in life. We're not asking for your money. We're asking for you to trust in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. That's one of the purposes of us being here as a church, to present the gospel to you, to call you to Jesus, so that you can experience Him as we have experienced Him. And so this is how you can respond today. You can respond by turning to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, forsaking your own ability to... to to manufacture salvation through your good works, through your gifts, through your donations, and realizing there is nothing that you can do to save yourself except surrendering your life to Jesus. So these are the ways that you can respond to this message today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
we'll have a time where we can respond. Lord, we come to You. We're thankful for Your Word, God. We're thankful for the opportunity that we can come, that we can, we can hear Your Word, God. We're thankful for the freedom that we have to do that. Lord, we ask that, that You would help us to take this message and You would apply it to our lives. That You would help us to be cheerful givers who give self-sacrificially on a regular basis to the gospel ministry of the church. And Lord, for those who may not know You as, your, as Lord and Savior, God, we pray today that this message would have convicted them, that this message would, would possibly show them that, that if they think that they're a believer, that they're not a believer, and that they would turn to Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, that they would experience eternal life. That they would experience a restored relationship with You. I pray, Lord, that You might work in the hearts of those who are, who are listening, who are watching, that You might call them to Yourself, that You might draw them to You so that they can experience salvation. In all this we pray in Jesus' name.